Hi, I'm Marie. And I'm Emily. And we're registered dietitians who love to look at the research when it comes to all things diets and supplements. With years of working with professional and collegiate athletes, we've seen it all, and we're here to set the record straight. On this podcast, we break down popular diets and supplements to let you know what's legit and what's BS. Welcome back, everybody, to Artie's vs. BS podcast. Today, we are doing yet another listener submission episode, and this episode is all about carbohydrate cycling. And I'm super excited to tackle this one. I've had so many questions throughout my career about carb cycling when it comes to athletics, when it comes to sleep, when it comes to health. Emily, I'm sure you've had the same. It's a very hot topic. And as we'll get into today, it's a very not well-defined topic. (laughs) So that can always make things very confusing. (laughs) Uh, But before we get into all that, as always, if you like our podcast, please be sure to subscribe, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or five-star rating on Spotify, and send us any topic suggestions by DMing us on our Instagram at rds underscore vs underscore bs underscore pod or our contact page from our website, rdsversusbs.com. And if you are interested in getting healthier without any dieting BS, maybe you really don't want to worry about when you are and aren't eating carbohydrates. We're here to help. We're both currently accepting one-on-one clients, and you can learn more by contacting us under the Work With Us tab on our website, rdsversusbs.com. All right, Emily, I know that you had a shit at the grocery store and then it grew. So would you like to explain where that's going to go? Yes. So (laughs) it exploded. It was a (laughs) listener, a multiple listener submission about nutrition shops, which we've talked about before in the past with Herbalife. And I should have known this, but it just, it got bigger and bigger. And I had more and more to say specifically around the nutrition shops that sell these colorful teas. So we're moving it down to BSPS. So definitely stick around to the end of the episode to check out our BSPS segment. It's going to be all about those nutrition shops and what's actually in those loaded teas. Awesome. All right. So yes, today we are talking about carbohydrate cycling. And uh, this was the listener submission that we got. The listener said, just found your podcast and thank you. Was looking for something about B-Shred and y'all delivered. That was like our third most listened to episode, which I, is crazy to me. <laughs> I can't believe it. I, Emily, hold on. I need to pause. I need to ask you, do you still not see okay, only, advertisements about this guy? Only on YouTube, which I okay. have, I don't, I used to not spend a lot of time on YouTube, but for some reason lately... Oh, I'm, I've been listening to like EDM sets from like Tomorrowland and stuff. And they, he found me on there every time it'll be like in the middle of a song and it'll just stop and be like this guy, like <laughs> it's someone commenting on V shred. Yeah. So it's someone who's like, this guy says he eats all these carbs. I'm like, okay. So yes, long story short, they found me on YouTube. All right. So continuing on with the message. Yeah. So I had to send, <laughs> so I had to send y'all a message on certain topics. Well, now I'm wondering about carb cycling. Is it an actual thing or another claim from B Shred? So thank you so much to our listener who sent that in. Thank you so much for listening. And yeah, I mean, we didn't really talk about it that much on that episode in particular, because we had so much else to talk about. <laughs> But that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, so they mentioned in V-Shred, they mentioned it in a lot of other diets. I've seen a lot of diet plans try to do something to do with carb cycling, or they'll throw that term out there. 
So we're going to talk about what it is, what an actual carb cycling plan looks like, if you have no concept of what that means, what some of the health claims and benefits are out there, what the research actually says about carb cycling, and whether or not it is something to consider implementing into your life. Carb cycling, what it is, is that people will switch up the amount of carbs that they take either within a day, within a week, some people even within a month, and they'll make it match up to a certain training schedule usually. So they'll have high carb days and they'll have moderate carb days and low carb days. And it's usually in conjunction with a specific workout plan. Carb cycling tends to be used by athletes bodybuilders, you know, endurance sport athletes, like marathoners, triathletes. This is partially what people are talking about when they talk about carb loading before a marathon or something like that. But that is just one small piece. One issue with carb cycling and defining it is that there isn't really one definition. Everyone has their own opinions on what carb cycling means and what it should look like, whether it's different meals that have different amount of carbs or if it's throughout the week or throughout the month. So it's really ambiguous. And so now, you know, when people will talk about carb cycling and other terms that they will use, such as train high, train low, sleep low, we'll get into what all of that means. But in general, I feel like I'm not doing a great job of defining it because there really is no definition. It's like the term natural on food right. products. Like, it doesn't really mean one thing. It means many things to many different people. Yes. But in general, we're talking about switching up the amount of carbs that you're eating within a certain time pe- period for a specific training purpose, typically. But again, we're going to get to some health claims as well. So if you're listening and you're like, wow, um, I'm a visual person. Well, we don't have a visual, but hopefully we're going to (laughs) give you some audio examples. This is a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So some examples of carb cycling. So there are some typical like layouts that people like to follow when they're doing this. In general, if we're talking about a carb cycling week, or a weekly schedule, it tends to follow a weekly workout cycle that is in conjunction with the carb cycling plan. And in general, you're going to have a high carb day on the days that you have high volume or high exercise. You're going to have a moderate carbohydrate day on days that you have moderate exercise, and you're going to have a low carbohydrate day on a day that you have like a recovery day or a very low volume day. Which sounds great, kind of sounds like common sense. Anybody who's listened before know that carbohydrates are a preferred energy source. So makes sense on the days that you need the most energy, you're going to eat the most carbohydrates. But where uh, the sense stops making sense is that when we've looked, we looked at a bunch of plans. So first of all, we'll, we'll get into this. There's not a ton of research on this. And we saw a bunch of weightlifting plans, bodybuilding plans, just people throwing out carb cycling plans on the internet and people's definition of what high, moderate and low carb intake is, is all over the place. Uh And one person's high carbohydrate intake is in some cases, another person's low carbohydrate intake amount. So that's where it can get very confusing. We saw some places that defined high carbohydrate intake 
as two grams per kilogram. We saw another one where it defined it as more than four grams per kilogram. So if you weigh 150 pounds, that's a difference of 150 grams of carbs, Mm. (laughs) which is a difference of 600 calories from carbs. So we've got discrepancies left, right, and center. You know, in general, and I know we haven't gotten into any of the research or any our thoughts on it yet, but in general, like this makes sense in theory to me, but that's the big issue is someone hears about carb cycling, it's recommended to them. So they go on the internet to try to figure out what that means for them. And it can vary 150 grams of carbs on each. Like it's just, yeah, the the lack of definition, I think is the real issue. And I don't really understand why, like, why isn't this something that is more defined? Yeah, especially I was, I was really shocked about the lack of research and literature on this because it is such a popular topic in sports nutrition and I've seen it out of sports nutrition as well. So usually, I mean, keto, intermittent fasting, stuff like that, that's as common of a practice had, has a lot of research behind it. So I was surprised that this one doesn't really. All right. So that first example, again, we can't agree on what high, moderate and low carb intake is, but the idea being that you pair it to high, moderate or low volume training. Uh, the next would be like week long periods of high or low carbohydrate intake. Uh, sometimes people will go about two weeks with a low carbohydrate intake and then three to four days of a high carbohydrate intake. Some people will go longer with lower. So like one to four weeks and then a longer period. So about a week of a high carbohydrate intake. So again, you're just alternating low carb, high carb. I know that some people do this around their periods. So they will eat uh, for women, they'll eat lower carbohydrate. And then when they are on their cycle, they will eat a higher carbohydrate diet. Like Emily said at the beginning, carboloading is technically carbohydrate cycling, um, or at least a component to it. So some people prior to something like a marathon, long distance run, um, even physique competitors will actually carboload or eat a higher carbohydrate meal the uh, evening before the event. The reason that a bodybuilder would do that or a physique competitor is this actually makes like your muscles pop. And a lot of the physique competitors have not been eating carbohydrates up to that point. And then the last example that we're going to go through is a daily carbohydrate cycle. So there's this idea of training low, training high, and sleeping low. And this is really specific to very highly trained athletes who are doing two-a-day workouts. Mm -hmm. But I think that Joe Bro at the gym has taken this concept and wanted to apply it to himself. The idea, though, is that you will wake up fasted you'll do a moderate intensity workout fasted. So that is the train low. So train on low carbohydrates. You then eat high carbohydrate between your first workout and your second workout. Then that second workout is train high. So you are training with high carbohydrate. And then you basically do not refuel with carbohydrate after, and then you go to bed. So you are sleeping low. So it's basically you wake up fasted, you do a workout, you eat carbohydrates. After your second workout, you stop eating carbohydrates go to bed without carbs. So that would be what like an example of a daily carbohydrate cycle would be. Yeah. So many different ways to do this, but why would a person do this anyway? What are the claims? So why a person would carb cycle? One reason is to lose fat or maintain physical performance while supporting weight loss goals. 
Another would be, you know, focus on a better physical performance than just eating consistent carb intake. So their thought that having the high days and the low days is going to have result in a better physical performance. This has kind of turned into a weight loss diet. Some people will use carb cycling to try to lose weight. Some people will use carb cycling for sleep to try to get their sleep patterns a little more normal. All right. So getting into the research, it is, like I said, shockingly sparse out there. Mm -hmm. I, you know, it's crazy. So when I put carb cycling into PubMed, I got, well, okay. I got like 20 pages on like glucose rinses for your mouth. Yes. (laughs) I was like, what? And I guess, cause like, there's something about cycling. like cycling the Cy- wash or whatever. Or like cyclists. I, was, I got a lot of like bicyclists. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, this is not what I'm looking for. No, it's not out there. I don't know if it goes by another term or maybe, I mean. I mean, there's like carb periodization and carb, you know, like there are different words for it. And we did eventually find what we were looking for. But that's so <laughs> funny that the same thing happened to us. Uh-huh. So looking into carb cycling for performance, um, you know, it is really interesting to me that this is such a thing in the bodybuilding community and the weightlifting community, but the evidence is really on endurance athletes Mm -hmm. and very specific sports. Like we're talking about running and cyclists. And again, maybe cyclists popped up more because of the word cycling cycling in the search, but I... I don't think I found any evidence that looked at people that were weightlifting specific to this this program. What I did find is that with the daily carb cycling, so again, you're doing a two a day, meaning you're training twice a day. You do one of those trainings fasted, you eat a bunch of carbs, you do the second one fed with carbs, and then you do not consume any more carbs, you go to sleep. This was a trial where they had two groups. They had one group doing carb cycling and one group not. They were eating carbs equally throughout the day, but both groups were eating the same total amount of carbs in the day. What they did find is that cycling times, and they they were doing this by time trial, is that the, the group that was carb cycling did improve their time trial. Now, what's interesting, though, is that they don't actually think it had anything to do with carb cycling per se. There's a lot of people that think, oh, it puts you in fat burning mode and your body just gets better at burning fat. They actually took blood markers and there was no changes in fat oxidation between the two groups. So neither, both groups were burning fat the same at the same rate. Uh, there were no changes, but what they did find is that the group that was doing the carb cycling, the daily carb cycling, that they actually were able to store more glycogen in their muscles than the group that wasn't. So basically what it seems to help do, and I, I saw some other studies that looked at this as well. Um, again, this was a running study. Basically, it seems like in a well-trained athlete who is doing a lot of training, if you do some sort of carb cycling and you do your moderate or low intensity workouts fasted, that you might be able to better store carbohydrates so that when you do consume carbohydrates, you can store more of it and you can use more of it from storage when you actually go to do your timed event. So I did think that that was really interesting. Yeah, super interesting. I've heard of it used in the context of rowers, cyclers, and runners in the past, and I hadn't really looked into the research before. 
So that was cool. So yes, it, it seems to work, but not for the reason that people think that it works. Right. Like no one is out there saying your muscles can hold more glycogen. And that's why, right. you know, <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. So yeah, that that's an interesting point when it comes to carb cycling and performance. When it comes to carb cycling and weight loss, this is where it's kind of crickets out there regarding <laughs> the research. There isn't a ton of research on specifically carb cycling or periodization and weight loss in particular. It's mostly just saying like the different mechanisms that are used throughout carb cycling in theory would make sense to potentially cause weight loss, right? Like, but there isn't enough F, like real evidence to know that it's specifically the carb cycling. So one thing that has been studied that's related to this is high carb, having high carb periods as you would with carb cycling and the weight and appetite regulating hormones, leptin and ghrelin, which we've spoke about in the past. And there is some research showing that when you have higher carb meals, that it, they do result in more satiety, which is the feeling of being full. And that's related to leptin and ghrelin. That is, you know, there's some research out there. It's very, you know, small amount of studies. We need some more research, but there could be something there. But then again, there's also other research out there that shows that there's no significant difference in weight loss in different diets that specifically restrict one form of macronutrient. So in this case, diets that would, you know, for half the time restrict carbs, and then other times have a lot of carbs, you know, the research shows that in general, the macronutrient that is restricted doesn't typically tend to matter. Well, I think it's no different than any other diet. If you're right. restricting carbs, whether it's for three days a week or four weeks straight or for half your day or whatever it is, it's kind of a soft intermittent fast, right? <laughs> like, right. Yes. You're, anything that's going to restrict, if you're not over consuming in the times that you're not restricting, like it will likely lead to weight loss. And especially if you're restricting around a weight plan, you know, that's a huge piece that people don't discuss is like, if you're starting a brand new training program at the same time that you're starting this carb cycling program, you are literally introducing both diet and exercise at the same time, you are very likely to lose weight. Exactly. You know, if, if someone's coming to me wanting to lose weight, I'll be honest, like carb cycling is not the first thing that comes to mind. You know, it's not like, oh, yeah, let's make sure that you're doing high carb days, medium carb days and low carb days. That's just not my approach. And I think that's based on there is not a ton of research. Yeah. And then the last thing that we looked into was this idea that carbohydrate intake can affect your sleep. And this is just really where I love when people try to make a very complex topic, super simple, and then just common sense sort of falls apart in front of them. Right. Uh -huh. Because in general, when you're talking about carb intake or like nutrition for sleep in general, one of the things that we first look at is somebody's excessive sugar intake. So that's one of the things that's recommended is if somebody's having trouble sleeping, you know, suggest that they decrease the amount of added sugar or excessive sugar that they're eating, right? Well, 
Yes, that's a good rule of thumb in general and for sleep. But what people have started to look at is, well, carbohydrates increase your tryptophan production and tryptophan is a precursor of serotonin and serotonin gets converted into melatonin. So should we actually be increasing the amount of carbs that we're eating before we go to bed? There was, I found a review from 2022, it was in the Frontiers Journal. It looked at a bunch of different study related to carbohydrate cycling and carbohydrate restriction and inclusion before bed. It basically said that people that consumed low levels of carbohydrate before bed, so were restricting carbohydrates before bed, they had a longer wait before REM sleep appeared. And if you consumed a carbohydrate drink before bed, basically you got better quality sleep and uh, were aroused less during the night and you reached your first REM cycle first. So that suggests, well, maybe there's something to consuming carbohydrates right before you go to sleep, right? Um, But then if you go back to our carb cycling day of somebody that's doing it to a day, these people are not consuming carbohydrates before they go to bed, right? Ah. Now, now they're not looking at sleep quality with that, right? Like that's totally unrelated to sleep. But here we are, you know, potentially as practitioners recommending that somebody restrict carbohydrates before they go to bed. It does seem that maybe there's a benefit to consuming a little bit of carbohydrate. Um, The review did say like, hey, we're not saying go crazy with the carbs. It did say like simply having a caffeine-free tea with a tablespoon of honey is plenty of carbohydrate. Um, But I did love this. I'm going to read this word for word. This is from the conclusion of this article. It says, it is attractive to look for simple answers to complex questions. However, with human beings or physiology, it's it is an approach that is almost inevitably going to mislead. As an example, seeing tryptophan and melatonin as a way of improving sleep has failed to reflect the complexity of the situation. Similarly, we should not see changes in carbohydrate and blood glucose as the new silver bullet. And I just love that because they are like, here's all the evidence, but let's not get tunnel vision here. Like sleep is complex. The answer is not simply drinking four ounces of juice before you go to bed. (laughs) Right. Like let's not do what we always do, which is hear that, oh, this might help me sleep better. So I'm going to go ahead and just have a quart of juice before bed. So I get (laughs) all the carbohydrates. Like, yeah, yeah, it's so tempting to just take a little amount may help. So an insane amount is going to be so awesome for me. So you're saying that I should eat that pint of Ben and Jerry's before? I yes, go to bed. exactly. <laughs> All right. So yeah, that's carb cycling. Marie, do you want to go over the pros of carb cycling? Yeah, we haven't done pros and cons in a while. I know. Um, yeah. So pros. So unlike some other diets that we look at, you know it. It restricts carbs to a certain extent in that there are days that, you know, you're supposed to eat low carbs or hours or weeks or whatever it is. Um, But it also discusses the importance of carbs and there are high carb days. So it's not demonizing carbs. It's basically a way to use carbs to your benefit. And it seems like in very high trained athletes in very specific sports who do very specific training, it might be able to increase your ability to store carbs less glycogen, but that is not most people. So probably not very applicable advice for most people. Yeah. Okay. So then cons, it's 
not super well researched and it's not super well defined. So carb cycling can kind of mean anything. It can be any range of amount of carbs per day. Another issue with carb cycling is that whatever number of carbs you do land on, it requires tracking and it requires a really in-depth knowledge of what a day of 150 grams of carbs looks like versus a day of 30 grams of carbs. And it, you know, that's a big range if those are the two numbers that you land on for high and low carb days. So it's a lot of changing. And Marie wrote this in the notes, seems like an ass pain. And I totally agree. (laughs) Um, It's kind of the opposite way of how I like to approach nutrition, which is you know, fuel your body, what sounds good, stop when you're full, things like that. This is very much for the person who likes tracking and knowing exactly what they're eating. And, you know, even if you put all of this effort into it to have your numbers and track and follow it, there doesn't seem to be much of a benefit beyond these well-trained specific sport athletes at this moment. So would it even be worth it? Well, like we said, with the weight loss, it would maybe happen because you are restricting yourself in certain ways. Also, we should mention that carb cycling may not be appropriate for people with diabetes. So as we've mentioned in the past with diabetes, the issue is with the blood sugar. You don't want it to get too high and the body can't regulate it. So having super high carb days versus super low carb days, that would be too much for a person with diabetes, for their body to handle. So definitely people with diabetes should not try carb cycling. It would not be what's best for them. So the big question is carb cycling BS. That's a hard one. Um, I don't know. It's not BS. It's just like that one reviewer said, it's not a magic bullet. You know, it's, if, if you find success with carb cycling, whether it's for weight loss or for physical performance, it's more likely just that you've honed in more on your nutrition and your needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really well said. It's the same. I feel the same as like for our intermittent fasting episode. Mm-hmm. Is it BS? I mean, not if, if it works for you, if you feel good doing it and it's not taking up your entire life and that it's getting the results that you want, then do it, right? As long as you're doing it healthily, I wouldn't say that it's BS. We do need some more research in order to recommend it to people. Like the next client I get, I'm not going to say, oh, we got to do carb cycling. But if someone comes to me, just like if someone came to me saying, I want a healthy vegan diet, if I would help them do that. If someone came to me saying, I'm curious about carb cycling, this is what I want. Like, these are my, the results I want. What do you think? Like we could try it out. You know, it's not something I'm going to go out of my way to tell people this is something you have to start doing. Yeah, I agree. Should we dive into the long? Well, it's not a long, it's not long for a BSPS. It's long for a shit at the grocery store. Yeah. So I do want to say that we do have a whole episode on Herbalife. This is, I mean, this is Herbalife if you're talking about the nutrition shop. So we we do have a whole episode on this, but we wanted to dive a little bit more specifically into some of the teas that they sell and what type of things might be going into 
the drinks that you get there. So for those who maybe aren't 100% sure what this BSPS is about, so pretty much every town, city, I mean, I'm sure not every single one in America, but a lot of them will have one, if not multiple, nutrition shops. And there will be no signage on the door. And it will simply say, like when I lived in Auburn, it was called Auburn Nutrition. Uh, I've seen one here in Destin, and it's like Destin Nutrition or Destin something. (laughs) Really clever with the naming, but it's the same in every town. (laughs) Yeah, it's like Emerald City Nutrition, like all kinds. That We have one uh, right next to, we have this really good pho, or not a pho place, a uh, Poke Bowl. We have a really good Poke Bowl place here, and there's a nutrition shop. And uh, the first time I went, I was like, I went with my boyfriend and his friend. I was like, guys, that's an Herbalife shop. I want to go in. I want to look at it. <laughs> and they were like, what are you talking about? I was like, I can smell these things from a mile away. That's an Herbalife shop. You live for this stuff. So yeah. you've actually been to one. Yeah. I w- remember I went to one, the one in Auburn for the episode. Yes. So yeah, which feels like a million years ago. So yeah. <laughs> do you or do you not have to join their club in like pay and join the club in order to go? That was unclear to me. Online, they say some of these places, you can't even go get their teas and shakes unless you join like a monthly club and then you're allowed to go into the shop. What was yours like? It depends because each one of these is independently owned by the distributor. Uh So some of them will treat it like a nutrition club where you have to basically sign up for Herbalife underneath them to be allowed to shop there. (gasps) But here's the thing. A lot of people don't know that they're signing up for Herbalife. They think that they're simply signing up for like a stamp card, basically, Uh or like oh, I'm getting access to these like super colorful shakes and we'll we'll get into that in a second. And some of them are just like, they operate like a normal store. So it depends on, it depends on the owner really, like who's the one that's opening it. Why they are so popular and why they get a lot of buzz is, is because they're very colorful. They've got all the right buzzwords of names, right? So it'll be like fat blasting, whatever. I realize I say fat blasting as an example like all the time, but fat blasting. <laughs> it'll be like skinny something tea and keto coffee something, like all of the words, mm-hmm. all of the words. They're very, very colorful and they have crazy cool flavors. And there's a whole board of flavors that you choose from. And I think I said this in the Herbalife episode. They don't list the ingredients and that's purposeful. They're not allowed to. They're not allowed to say that it's Herbalife. Now, If you were to ask, I think that you could say, and there are some Herbalife things that you can buy on the counter, like some of their supplements and stuff. But, you know, if you were to go to like a Smoothie King, it would say green juice smoothie and it'll say it'll have papaya juice and celery juice and, you know, it it lists all the ingredients in there. The Herbalife shops and these nutrition shops, they don't. They just name the flavor. So, yeah, they're not allowed to. And they're also not allowed to have any signage. So they might have, like, a really nice sign. You can have a sign that says, like, nutrition shop or whatever, Emerald City Nutrition or Auburn Nutrition, whatever it is. Um, But you can't have any stickers on the windows or anything like that that you might find at something like a Smoothie King. So, yeah, if you notice that, if you walk in and you're not seeing ingredients, you're just seeing flavors and promises of being skinny and getting energized and all this kind of stuff, you, my friend, are in an Herbalife store. (laughs) Lovely. You're in one of the 5,900 active locations across the U.S. Can you believe there's that many? 
I, I'm honestly shocked it's that few. Really? I thought, I yeah. Oh, man. Um, I have a question. So why aren't they allowed to use any Herbalife branding? Like if this is an Herbalife, if they're using it in the teas, and we'll get into what's actually in these teas, but if they're using this, why wouldn't Herbalife want their branding all over this? It's like they're hiding the fact that it's Herbalife. I don't know the actual answer to that question, but I have a theory. I have a guess. So my guess is that Herbalife has a really bad name and they don't actually want people to know that it's like part. I believe that part of their rebranding attempt was to make very colorful drinks that people specifically women are going to want to buy because they're very low calorie, high protein drinks that taste good. And everybody's always going after like trying to get a smoothie shop, trying to get their health fix in their quick health fix in. And I don't think that they want it associated with Herbalife because I think they've got such a bad name. So this is how Herbalife is staying alive through these shops. They're still selling their products. That is my guess. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So these nutrition shops, they sh- they sell like protein shakes, which we talk about a lot in the Herbalife episode. But what we didn't talk a lot about was these loaded teas. This is what the, our listener today, um, we've actually since... We planned this episode, had someone else reach out just yesterday who was interested in this. So it's a very timely episode. But when I looked into the teas, they're basically like if I had to describe them, I would say they are energy drinks being sold as teas. And they're very similar macronutrient wise to like a monster or to any Mm -hmm. of those energy drinks. And I guess some of them actually do have a tea concentrate in them. Some of them don't, but it's basically all these different fun flavors that are low in calories, high in caffeine. They're sweet because of the, you know, they have artificial sweeteners, but what's really sketchy is that no one knows what's in them because they're not allowed to say what's in them. And I'm just thinking of like people with allergies, you're going to, I guess you would just have to avoid these shops because that seems like it should be against the law to sell something and not tell you what's in them. That's crazy to me. I mean, I don't want to go so far as to say like, if you were to ask and really ask like, Hey, I have an allergy. I need to know. I'm sure they're a food establishment. They have to, I'm assuming that there's laws that they have to disclose that information, but they really, right. They really, really try to not give that information. Like I talked about this in the Herbalife episode when I asked what was in the smoothie, (laughs) she was like super vague about it. Now I didn't really push. I wasn't Uh like, yo, I've got an allergy. You need to tell me. Um, so I don't want to go so far as to be like, they're just straight up not going to tell you what's in it. <laughs> like, uh-huh. I'm sure that I'm sure that is illegal. Right. Um, but it's not clear. It's not apparent. They're not forthcoming and they're not going to just provide that information. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Okay. So with a little bit of digging, we did find a few things that are in most of these loaded teas. So I wanted to talk about them. They are both Herbalife products. The first is called Liftoff, but it's basically just a tablet that they will add to these teas. And I'm looking at the, it is a supplements fact. It is 
15 calories per tablet, four grams of carbs, but mostly it's just a bunch of vitamins and minerals, what you would expect, like 300% of B6 and 200% (laughs) of B12. But then they have this thing called an energy blend. And those who are listeners know when there is a supplement fact, you can't quite be sure what exactly is in this product because it's not uh, regulated by the FDA. And a lot of times they'll have these blends where you don't know how much of all of these different products are in this. So it says 351 milligram energy blend, which includes ginseng, L-taurine, caffeine, guarana, and inositol, which we've talked about every single one of those um, <laughs> ingredients in one of our episodes over the over the years, which is interesting. But it does say on the side that one tablet contains 75 milligrams of caffeine. So this is the base of many of the energy or the, the loaded teas that you'll get at these stores. So that's one thing. But then a lot of them also include something called an herbal tea concentrate. Serving size is half a teaspoon and you're just supposed to mix it with, it contains a bunch of different teas, orange pico extract and green tea extract and black tea extract and different flavors. There's some fructose for a little bit of sweetness and hibiscus flower powder, like all of this different stuff. So this is another thing they will add to these teas. Now, this one is pretty potent. Um, One serving, which is half of a teaspoon, which is not a lot, has 85 milligrams of caffeine. So right now, if you are getting a loaded tea, it probably has at least one serving of this herbal tea concentrate, plus at least one serving of the liftoff. So you're at about 150 milligrams of caffeine right there. And that's assuming that they follow the serving size. You know, they might just take a teaspoon or God forbid a tablespoon (laughs) of, (laughs) of the herbal tea extract and you're just like bouncing off the wall. So difficult to know how much caffeine's in these. Also, if you're looking at liftoff, So again, supplement, not regulated. We don't actually know how much caffeine is in this. And it said, you know, you said it said on the side, 85 milligrams. Well, the caffeine, like, quote, energy blend is 350 total milligrams. Mm -hmm. So I'm not really sure how you're going from 350 milligrams of (sighs) caffeine containing ingredients to only 75 milligrams of caffeine. I think the whole thing is bullshit because again, you don't, you can't trust anything on that label, but yeah, it's to your point. I think it's very safe to say that you're not, you have no idea how much caffeine you're getting in these drinks. Absolutely. And I also just read that a serving size of the, um, the Herbalife tea concentrate is for six to eight ounces of tea. Now, if you go to a tea shop and get a six ounce cup, no one's going to be happy about that. Like, you know, especially here in America, small is like 16 ounces. So yeah, it's definitely way more. But other things that they'll add to this, it's not just the herbal tea concentrate and the liftoff. They'll add things like the aloe water, which we talked about last episode, or they'll add collagen water or these, you know, sugar-free syrups. That's where it gets a little 
sketchy. It's like, okay, what, what else is in here? This like concoction of different supplements, really supplements and things to make the water tea stuff taste good. I just wanted to remind anybody that hasn't listened in a while, or if you haven't heard the, if you haven't heard the Herbalife episode, that people have had liver toxicity associated with Herbalife products. And it's associated with taking multiple Herbalife products at one time. And something like this, I'm not saying you're going to get liver toxicity by drinking these, but there is a history of taking too many Herbalife supplements that you don't know what's in it and ending up in the hospital with liver failure. So just keep that in mind. I do think it's been a while since that has happened, but it's not unheard of. And that's the danger of doing products like this. You do not know what you're putting in your body at the end of the day. And yeah, it's not worth it. I won't get too deep into this, but I want to at least mention it. Um, A lot of people who sell these teas on Instagram or at the nutrition stores are going to give you a whole load of BS about the teas, like a lot of times it'll say hashtag clean energy, whatever that means. No such thing as clean energy. They'll be marketed about, you know, oh, these teas are immune building and they're high in antioxidants, like all of this great stuff beyond it just giving you energy. And I will just tell you now that's all BS. This yes. like mix of synthetic materials <laughs> is not building your immunity or and it's also not even like... High antioxidant levels, like where'd they get that from? So ignore all of that. Because again, talked about this in that episode, episode, but uh, the I got a blueberry cheesecake flavor, and they literally used pie filling blueberries. Like they couldn't even they couldn't even be bothered to like use fresh blueberries. So yeah, I don't really know where the antioxidants are coming from. Yeah, the goop surrounding the blueberries have sucked out any health that those blueberries once had. Absolutely. Yeah. So gosh, when I just when I think we're done talking about Herbalife, it pops back into our lives. But um, thank you, listeners. This is this is a good episode. Yeah, for sure. I had fun, learned a lot. I'm glad we got to do a little bit more research heavy episode. It's been a while. It has. It has. Yes. And keep the suggestions on topics coming. We've gotten a lot of good ones, but we always love to hear from you guys if there's anything we haven't talked about yet let us know you know how to reach us but until next time i'm emily and i'm marie and don't let the bs get the best of you